So, hello, Peter. How are you today? I'm very well, David. Hello, everyone. How uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Well, we last saw each other at the very good Susan the Banshees gig. It was excellent. Excellent. And then I went off and saw a fantastic band you may not have heard of called the Sisters of Mercy, Peter. I believe I know them very well. Um, they were fantastic <laughs> in the day. <laughs> But I believe, but I believe that my my theory that uh, they've they've had their day actually uh, um, you felt that with that performance. Yeah, that's the first kick I've been to with Graham where we've actually left and we we got to we got halfway through the fifth song, and it, it says a lot when you're listening to a song and it was only halfway through I realised it was first and last and always, which is not a great sign. So yeah, I was he he his voice whatever I don't know that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, was he? Was he okay? Like, because his voice was very odd. It, he basically shouted a lot, and you couldn't hear him then. Yeah, I think the the problem is, is and this was told to me a long time ago, is is that he uses his own sound system and his own sound record or sound people. He doesn't. He never uses the place where that his the venue's place. And so, as such, is is that the sound is actually really just not good. And he also races through the songs now. You know. You know, he is. There's no. He just races through them, and no, and there's no, and there's no artistry anymore. So unfortunately, no. I mean, the only one I enjoyed. They they put Alice in fairly early, and he just offered the mic out, and the audience sang it all, which was actually quite effective. So perhaps that's the solution for future sisters' gigs. Anyway, enough of our sad gothic past. Um, we've got a couple of of films which pretty much came out at the same time, didn't they? So we have from you, Peter. We have whatever happened, happened to, to Aunt, Aunt Alice, Alice nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. And for me, it's uh, the Hund von Blackwood Castle, uh, which was nineteen sixty eight, I think. Yes, that's but right. I think I think yeah. I, I went first last time. So could you please introduce whatever happened to Aunt Alice to our lovely audience? Well, this is one of my go to films. I absolutely love it. Um. Basically, is that we all know about whatever happened to Baby Jane, which came out in '62, and um, that was produced by Robert Eldridge. Well, this is basically um, a follow-up in a, a lot of ways. Again, produced by Robert Eldridge, and it's whatever happened to Aunt Alice. And in this one, it's basically about a aging Arizona widow who basically hires, you know, elderly housekeepers and then cons them out of their money. Um, then murders them and then plants them in her garden and uh, then puts a pine tree uh, everywhere uh, that uh, the, the body has been buried. Now, it's based on a novel uh, called The Forbidden Garden by Ursula Curtis. And I've not been able to like read that novel because I've, every time I tried to like source it myself just to read it and compare it with the film, is that it's worth about 50 Fifty dollars or 50, fifty pounds. You know, it's not. It's not a. It's not cheap to actually get. Um, of course, I love movie tie-ins, so I want the one with the tie-in of the fantastic poster. Uh, which, when the film was came out, it's got uh, this sort of face in what looks like sort of like a, a pit, and it's got a big shovel. And uh, I just love it. So anyway, about the film, Geraldine Page. She plays Mrs. Marable, Claire Marable, and she is really really quite sinister um she's a horrible toxic person herself because she's very uh, she feels entitled so when her um businessman husband dies she realizes that in fact <laughs> he had no assets um and all she gets is a, a a briefcase with a butterfly connection 
are two antique daggers and a stamp collection. Now, these are really important for the film. So she ends up relocating to Arizona and begins basically her little plan to actually con her um, uh, housekeepers out of their money. And the, the film picks up with um, the death of um, one um, uh, um, housekeeper and her best friend, Alice, which is played by Ruth Gordon, arrives to basically take on board. Um, uh, she, she's going undercover, really. She's going to be um, Mrs. Marigold's housekeeper, but at the same time trying to find out the truth about what happened to um, her um, best friend, um, who was, I think her name was Edna. I've completely forgotten, actually. Um, but at the same time, there is this uh, young woman who arrives and um, basically rents the cottage, which is on the nearby uh, Mrs. Marable's quite remote uh, ranch house that she lives in. They're quite a beautiful place. It's in, in uh, New Mexico. In, uh, yeah, sorry, in Arizona. And um, anyway, she settles in there with her son and uh, their dog, Chloe. And do Chloe ends up causing lots of problems for Miss Prold, Miss Marable, because she keeps scratching around in the dirt where the pine trees are. And uh, anyway, lo and behold, is that Ruth Gordon discovers that, in fact, uh, something sinister has happened to poor old Edna and everything comes to a climax, uh, which I'm not going to talk about because you have to see the film. <laughs> well, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Pete. Um, the I was expecting something more grotesque, I think, having seen um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, but it's actually not. I mean, Geraldine Page is absolutely terrific, I thought. I mean, I have to say, I mean, it, it's between her and Ruth Gordon, you could just watch them for hours, really, because they're such a... I mean, the peripheral characters are all fine, but the, the, the secondary love story and... The, that, the 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 kind of society details that were going on around Mirabelle, I didn't bother me either way. But Ruth Gordon, I love Ruth Gordon from um, oh god, Rosemary's Baby. About, no, the one where she's uh, the old woman with the young lad committing suicide all the time. Oh, oh, Harold and Maud. Harold and Maud, mm. and um, she's such a nice actress. But I hadn't really thought of Geraldine Page, and I think in that bit at the beginning, you think is there going to be enough to her character because. She obviously comes across, as you said very rightly, is entitled. Mm. But she's great because she's a bit of a lush. When she's being all prim, she reminds me of Penelope Keith from The Good Life in a kind of distorted <laughs> version because she tries to be terrible. Well, if you can just pass me my cocktail, my dear. So she's got that part to it, but then she gets very sneering and just really nasty and manipulative. These, Particularly the, the pre-Ruth Gordon housekeepers who were just you know, nice kind of Thora Heard-like old ladies who were being literally mentally abused by this awful woman. Yeah, she, uh, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. She's great. Geraldine Page, terrific. She's absolutely... I mean, she's, she does hit the right notes, doesn't she? Mm. Because she can be quite sinister, but at the same time, she... Yeah, as you say, she's a bit of a lush because there's also her... I think it's her niece, uh, or is it a businessman's niece? And she yeah. was like a right slut, isn't she? Sort of yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what I meant. You, there's this. It's quite intimate at the beginning, isn't it? Because obviously she's murdered the housekeeper, and and then she suddenly appears in a wheelchair, which we know she doesn't need. <laughs> at, the, um, at this kind of, and they all believe she's rich and, and loaded, don't they? So they all suck up to her, and they always talk about her, and they're basically trying to get into her money. Yeah. But yes, I can't remember the lady's name, but there's this vigorously blonde woman, isn't there? Who um, 
seems to want to bang anything in sight, really. Oh, yes, I think that's uh, yeah. I think that's Julia or whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah. She's she's actually yeah. She's just uh, she's just after her aunt's money. She just can't wait for it to. And of course, the other thing we didn't mention. Oh, Ruth Gordon. Her name is Alice. She is the yes. aunt Alice. She's the aunt Alice. Yeah. And of course, so you know, you actually think, okay, whatever happened to Aunt Alice? Well, you know that something's going to happen to Ruth Gordon, mm. and but it doesn't happen until really late into the third part. Of and the also, film. it happens in a kind of staggered way so there is yeah and it's very careful because you don't want to give too much of the no. puzzle away but i think that there's you kind of aren't quite sure what's going to happen uh, until you, you reach the point of understanding the, the closure to the film um but no i say it is i think it's one of those films and i think there's a way they used to be able to make films back in the 60s it's not terribly dramatically shot it's nicely shot but it's not there's not huge tracking shots or complicated setups, no. but it's really not, you know, really compelling actors, not necessarily in the periphery. They weren't bad, but I wouldn't, I mean, I, I, I couldn't, the, the door, the, the lady who moves in next door, who was quite, she reminded me a bit of Tippy Hedren in the way she seemed unable to emote a great deal. She wasn't the most compelling of love interests, I didn't think. No, I think, yeah, that's Harriet. Uh, um, yeah, that she's the widow, and that was played by Rosemary Forsyth. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's not, I didn't think she was that crash, uh, crash hot either. And neither, I hate to say it, poor old Robert Fuller, uh, who no, plays her. He was a bit, a bit stiff. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, and of course, he's Alice's uh, nephew. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that whole love triangle doesn't really, love uh, interest story doesn't really play out very well. But as you say, it's all about Ruth and Geraldine and the it's way just, they yeah. play off each other. And I do have a, a soft spot for Chloe. Chloe the dog. There's a there's a great scene where 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 Mrs. Marable, uh, Geraldine Page, tries to uh, get um, Chloe into um, the garage. Oh, in the cell, yeah, cellar or in garage the, or whatever, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and then tries to like um, kill the dog, but of course. Chloe is even better than her, and she she escapes. It's yay, and she realizes there's a great bit where you have that look in Geraldine's face where she sort of says, "Yeah, I think I've been beaten here by that dog." So she lets lets her off. <laughs> no, she, she. I say that I think that's what surprised me about Geraldine Page was that I thought, and again, possibly because of whatever happened to Baby Jane, I thought she was going to kind of go the full Bet Davis and and start. And and she didn't. I mean, even at the end, where, when the, the the climax happens, and to a, whatever degree she's found out, it's quite a strange performance from her because she, even then, she's just a bit mad. And she, but she is. And I do think there's that bit where she gets very cross with Ruth Gordon, where she says, "We could have been friends. We could have had yeah. many happy years together." And I think actually, she is very lonely as well. And I think she, she half wants the companionship because at times you do get the impression she would welcome a companion but she's just such a overpreening narcissist she she can't let it go yeah but no i say i certainly i because i think she did get an oscar for something geraldine page because i just happened to notice it said oscar in a geraldine page but the only thing i remembered her in which is what i was trying to remember her from because she's not that old in it is she i think she's perhaps only in her 50s let's see 20 30 40 50 20 30 40 50 60 yeah she's only in her 40s yeah is it really? Because I mean, that was yeah. I mean, not that it was a huge issue because she really sells it. But of course, what I remember from being very good in was the Beguile with Clint Eastwood. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Um, where she was, I mean, it's far less a, a far a different performance because it was a more intimate film. But she was great in that. But yes, yeah, she was great in this. And I think you know, Ruth Gordon's has got that kind of um, 
physical and verbal tenacity to her character who just always seems busy. Yes. And I think yeah. when you get the two of them together, you just there's two very nice performers there. And I think how much Aldrich, I don't know, manoeuvred these people into position, but he clearly realised that as long as they were good, the rest of the film largely didn't matter, I don't think. Yeah, and I think he he, he does a, a nice little um, sort of homage to um, Baby Jane and the fact that, like, there's this bit, as you say, it's about, oh, we could have been friends, which, of course, is, mm. the, is the whole thing about the, the end of uh, Baby Jane. And uh, that actually comes up again in this film, but also is <laughs> I love is Ruth Gordon's penchant for wigs i know <laughs> even she's i presume the wig when she takes the wig off what she's wearing underneath i think is a wig uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so she's got this wig okay and i've got a i've got a feeling is that it's actually a plot um uh, device because later when geraldine actually has to try and pretend to be um, yes. Aunt Alice, of course, she uses her wig. So I think that's the only reason why the wig is actually appears in the film. Uh, otherwise, she looks fine. But there was a lovely scene where she's actually, like, you know, combing her wig at night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have to say one thing about um, also is that for me, one of, one of the things that absolutely is fantastic about this is the music score. Well, I, I'm in and out on this, Pete. The reason I quickly mention this is early on, I was really quite taken with it, and it felt almost Eastern European, um, something you might see in a Polish or almost art film, because it was quite strong and mm. quite um, atonal in a really good way. I The problem I had with it, perhaps, wasn't so much the quality of the score, which I th at times I thought was really excellent. I felt it was rather overused, there were times when literally almost nothing happened and there would be a dramatic stab of tension, which I felt, because it was such strong music, mm. I felt at times you thought, you don't need to do it there. But, for example, I think it's particularly well used at the beginning. I think I think I recollect it was during that very first murder. I thought it was very, very effective but and very kind of quite strange strange music. But I did feel it was overlaid too much. Well, the, the composer here is Gerald Fried, and I don't... If, I, if no, people, nobody's knows about who Gerald Fried is. He's probably the most prolific uh, composer for 60s and 70s American TV. I mean, he did things like Man From U.N.C.L.E., uh, you know, Gilligan's Island, Star Trek. I mean, and he also, you know, he originally collaborated with um, Stanley Kubrick on his uh, early films. Um, he's really got a particular, I just love the way he scores. And, uh, you know, nearly all of his stuff I just love, especially Mantra Uncle. That's actually, mm. I think they're my favourite um, scores. If you listen to them. We must just say goodbye to the lovely David McCallum who died this week. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. And in fact, I actually watched the episode uh, that Vincent Price appeared in yesterday just as a tribute, which was mm. the Foxes and Hounds affair, which is, again, a Gerald Pride school, very good. Um, but, yes, um, yeah, poor old David. R.I.P. David. So. But, I mean, that was a good innings, though, and he was very productive, still working on NCIS pretty much up until the end, wasn't he? Mm. Yes, yes, so So he did very well. Yeah. No, I say it wasn't – it's a difficult one, Pete. It wasn't a bad one. At times, I remember watching at the beginning – and I thought I certainly thought I was going to see almost like an Eastern European name coming. I mm. thought, damn, this is a good score. Yeah, and it stayed a good score, and it was a better score. Not a better score than the film deserved because that's that's not the way I meant it. It was a more interesting score than I thought a film like that would have. Yes, as I said, I just felt sometimes the the editor banged the repetitive beats in too often. But no, very good score, and not the kind of mushy stuff you sometimes got on 
straight films in the in the sixties, really. And of course, Gerald did the score for the baby, which we reviewed <laughs> recently. So there's a bit of a common. There's a link there for me. You know. Yeah, no, he's, he was good. I say, and I, I, it's a good film. And I say, I think that certainly for people, you're right. There's obviously the link with Aldrich and the title, but I think I I don't think it wouldn't. If it wasn't for the title, I'm not sure I would think of it as quite the same. I hadn't realised, which I found with great pleasure, that there was a whole category called Hagsploitation, Pete. Uh, yes, which, had uh, I known that, I would have just done a podcast just on it to say the word <laughs> Hagsploitation. Well, see, I don't like that word. I think <laughs> I much prefer Grand Dame Guignol, uh, which is a, which is what it's also known as, um, or the Psycho Biddy genre. But, I was going to say, I did like Psycho Biddy as well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do like Grand Dame. <laughs> Because, you know, they are definitely grounded. I mean, we could do a, a whole podcast just on on just on that genre because um, I was looking at this and I realised that, in fact, this film, Whatever Happened to Aunt Alice, is actually the, 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 the end point of the first generation of, um, uh, of these particular films because they all started, like, you know, with of course, with um, with uh, Baby Jane 62. But, you know, um, there were others in the 60s that came out that, uh, w- that, are, that are worth looking into as well, you know, like Bette Davis's Dead Ringer and, and also Joan Crawford's Straitjacket. But there's also Olivia de Havilland's Lady with, in a Cage. And, of course, then there's the other Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. With, I was going to say Hush Hush Sweet which Charlotte. Which is another Robert Aldrich, um, yep. another Robert Aldrich film. And... Um, one of my favourites, the night, the night Walker with Barbara Stanwyck. No, no, I don't That's know that. That's one to see. And of course, then we have you know Tallulah Bankhead doing Fanatic or Die Die My Darling in '65, and um, uh, Joan Crawford returning in I Saw What You Did in '65. Um, I mean, would you have put the baby into that? Because I do think the performance uh, from the pod is, I've forgotten the lady's name. That would be that. See, Ruth Roman. I think because uh, if we're looking at the 60s uh, films that came out, mm. you know, all these grand dames, you know, um, that's uh, this was the last point because it's 1969. And then we go into mm. the 70s and you have the what I call the second generation of the grand dames, um, beginning with Rosemary's Baby and Ruth Gordon. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, definitely, the baby is in there, along with uh, Joan Crawford doing Trog and uh, <laughs> um, Shelley Winters doing What's the Matter with Helen. Um, I think Shelley Winters doing anything. I love Shelley Winters. Yeah, oh, she, so and she good. did. Uh, who slew Auntie Rue, which is... Uh, she did. Which is I great. always remember her, the first, my introduction to, like, many people my age, I suspect, was actually watching her in... Um, uh, the Poseidon Adventure, yes, where she yes, was yes. clearly uh, slight. By then, she was slightly overweight, but she was still just. She was like the the favorite auntie you wish you had. She was terrific in that. Yes, and then of course you start to see. A, obviously, as you do when you watch films, you watch people get younger because you suddenly, you know, it's like watching Fred Astaire for the first time in The Towering Inferno. You then slowly work backwards, and you realise this long career these people had had. And with Shelley Winters, it's great because she was a really good actress. Absolutely, God, yes. I mean, yeah, even right up to like uh, you know, she was doing uh, Roseanne, you know, uh, in her, you know, oh, I didn't realise. Oh, yeah, she was great in that. Yeah, so oh, that's okay. you know. I think so. That is that is whatever happened to Aunt Alice. Um, yeah, de- definitely. Well, I think I, I'll do my little sum up at the end about um, how easily available it is. Yes, um, I didn't have any huge issues, but um, it was it was a good film, so I would and, strongly and also, recommend it. And also, as I've got to mention, is that it was actually there was going to be a third film uh, in the Whatever Happened to series that mm. Robert Eldridge 
uh, was had devised is uh, there was one that was it was announced and actually just after the, this film came out and it was supposed to be called Whatever Happened to Dear Elba based on the novel Goodbye Aunt Elba by Elizabeth Fenwick. Unfortunately, it was never made. You, you've missed the obvious point of whatever happened to it, Pete. <laughs> whatever happened to it. <laughs> so moving on from uh, a film featuring great performances from fine, fine actors, we move on to a rather late crimi film mm. called The Der Hund von Blackwood Castle. So very quickly for the listeners who may or may not be a, uh, aware of what crimi is, and then I'm going to have to try and work out why I recommended this one, which I watched it again a couple of days ago, but I think I can have a go why. Um Crimi is a weird one. It kind of, I guess, starts in the late 1950s and runs through the 60s. Um, and it's heavily indebted and effectively always, um, in theory, goes back to uh, Edgar Wallace, although in the case of this film, it's a, it's a very tenuous link. Um, or his son, Brian Edgar Wallace. Um, and he wrote, you know, what we would think of as pot-boiler thrillers, um, kind of mixed in sometimes with that kind of... Um, old dark house kind of people creeping about, betraying each other and all the rest of it. But they were definitely early on, I'm thinking of like Dark Eyes of London and that they were also police procedurals where you got uh, fantastic performances from uh, Joachim Fuschberger, who appears in most of them, doesn't appear in this one. Um, and so there was a series of films, and I think I couldn't tell you how many, but there were 20 or more, uh, that were made over the course, I guess, of 10 years or so, which got increasingly lighter, less in, less less serious and intent. But it has to be said, uh, often more fun. Um, and they kind of bridge, which is why I eventually, why I looked at them a few years ago, they traditionally are seen to, to bridge into jelly films, which I guess they do. I mean, the, watching them, and it'll be interesting to talk about this, when you talk about this film, Pete, they never strike me as very much like a Jallo at all. I mean, Jallo's so aggressively eschew any kind of procedural, police procedural element to them. You very rarely get a functional policeman who does anything other than piss off the main hero, really. I mean, the only one, probably Black Belly the Tarantula, has got a good performance in. Um, but normally, they the policemen are pretty ineffectual, certainly in Argento films, for example. But certainly there was this bridge, and technically, you know, uh, I think Seven Bloodstained Orchids, or I think it's that one, or the case of the Billy Iris, whichever, is meant to be a, a, a jali, which is actually also meant to be a crimi. So there was this merging, but really by the time Jallo was kicking off, um, particularly with Blood and Back Lace, I think crimi was then trying to keep up with the, the sensationalism, the luridness, the colourfulness, um, and as, to a certain degree, the sexualization that was coming into Jallo. So... They certainly bled into each other, but Crimi was had its own identity, which bizarrely for me, uh, for people who, which is why it was worth watching a few, given the fact these are German films, they're set in England and they're set in postcard Avengers England. They're not even attempting to be particularly realistic. Yeah, so this film is quite a late one. Um, 1968 was, was really when they started to become heading more into carry-on territory, I'd almost say. I didn't know whether to recommend this one or The Monk with the Whip, uh, but I eventually went for this one, because although it's missing, which I'll talk about as we go through it, it's missing a, a central detective. <clears throat> I do like the performances in it, and I felt it was a film which, when I watched it again, I, I still think was when it gets going, which is about a third of the way through, I just enjoy the performances, and I, it's tremendously good fun, and I quite like the shameless old dark house, secret doors, 
you know, monsters in the cellar kind of fun from it. And it does have a fantastic score. Oh, um, the score is yeah. fantastic. So, yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't know what you thought of it, Pete. Do you know what? I really enjoyed it. I <laughs> actually watched it twice um, because um, it, I just had to, like, watch some of the characters again because yeah. because it's there's quite a lot of characters in there. Well, it it it's, does. It, this is what I meant. For about the first third, you're thinking, well, there's there's um the, the daughter, there's you know the strange butler who's called Grimsby, which just makes me laugh. But there we go. <laughs> and then you've got those a couple of characters at the pub, and then a couple yes. of people die, and you're like, oh okay. And then suddenly, like you said, I certainly feel it picks up hugely when her mother arrives, for example. Yes, yes. Oh shit, the mother is great. <laughs> she yeah. is fantastic. Um, what was her name? I can't, I'll check for you now. I mean, obviously, the main lead, which for, for fans of Jallo, would also be um, Karen Baal, um, who was appeared in Whatever Happened to Solange with Joachim Fussberger, and she was very, very popular in this. Her mother was Maidie Rahl, and I, I have been through some of these. The only one, sadly, Pete, of any great interest, um, unfortunately, was the gentleman who, uh, Hans Schonker, who played the solicitor at the beginning. Yeah. Now, he was immensely popular in Germany playing a police detective called Derek, of all things. <laughs> and that ran till the late 90s when somebody pointed out he'd been secretly hiding his military past and had been a member of the Waffen-SS. Oh, dear. <laughs> so he's, he got, he kind of, rem I think they were going to remove his Medal of Honour from the acting fraternity and they stopped showing Derek because <laughs> he, he was a member of the SS. But reading through them all, the most interesting one, just really quickly, who I really love in it, by the way, um, who is in 16 of them, um, is... <clears throat> Excuse me, Siegfried Schoenberg, who's Sir John. Ah, yes. Who's the one yes. who, who goes off, who normally is a kind of comic foil to whoever is playing the actual detective. Yeah. But they gave him his own, which I just quite like because I quite like him. And what I love about him, which I'll never understand, is his real voice, which you can hear if you get the. Um, the undubbed version. He is the go-to German at the time. So he was dubbing Clark Gable. He, he dubbed the oh, Jungle Book. Oh, yes, he was, wasn't he? Yes, yes. <laughs> but he's great in it. I think he's terrific. Although him slapping poor old Miss Finley <laughs> on, the, on the rump every time going, ooh. Uh, he, rests his hand, he rests his hand on there and goes, you're yeah. putting me off my work, my darling. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, she was actually one... She was my favourite. Um, she actually was great. I thought she was brilliant. And I didn't realise... Her character is actually in quite a few of those Krimi films. Her she is, the yes. same character. So she's been playing. Yeah. So I, um, uh, Isla Page, or Page. Um, yeah, she was really good. I really liked her. I thought she stood her ground, even though it was a little, he was a bit sexist. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed her. Um, but the other one, there's, there's also, there's, there's one other person who crops up here, which is of interest to um, uh, genre fans, is, um, is uh, Uta Lefka. Um, she plays Dorothy. She is um, also. Oh, yes. Yes. So she crops up. Uh, she's also been in a couple. I think she's also in uh, Hunchback of Soho and the Sinister Monk uh, series. But she crops up in the Oblong Box uh, in 69. Oh, okay. But famously, is that she's the horrible nurse in Scream and Scream Again, who. Um, oh, yes. Right. She's the, she's okay. the, the composite <laughs> nurse who ends up, um, you know. Uh, administering sort of like a drip to the poor old uh, chap. Oh, the, the chap who's losing his arm. He's choosing, choosing every yeah, every limb every five seconds. And uh, and she's the one that ends up uh, having a bit of a, a blowout, a great scene 
in Scream and Scream Again when she knocks the verse down with one punch sort of thing. Uh, so anyway, that's um, Uta Lepka. Uh, she, uh, so that was nice to see her in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, say so I think I mean they're weird films, Peter. And it's, I mean, I do I have to say I have got a huge soft spot for them. And I mean, if you did enjoy them, they and this later period. But they I think I mentioned about the Dead Eyes of London, um, which is effectively the Dark Eyes of London, is much more serious, and the humour in that is really um, only really pops up. I think with yeah. from recollection with some of the interactions with the police was as you drift through it. And I have to say, if if you did enjoy this, if you just go back one film and watch The Monk with the Whip, which has got uh, Sir John and has got his assistant in it and has got Joachim Fuchsberger at his at his, uh, <laughs> his best, and that's a really fun film, I, but it hasn't got anywhere near as good a score and it's not as pretty to look at as this yeah. one. I really, it's the same yeah. manic pace. Yeah. I really loved the credit sequence in the beginning with the, uh, the title yes. credits. They're just so wacky. Uh, I kept thinking, you know, we're, we're really, it, even though it's supposed to be set, is it supposed to be set in, like, um, the 60s? Uh, yes. Be- I mean, yeah, because when she goes to his apartment, yes. it's a super modern apartment, if yeah. you remember. But the thing is, is that the castle itself, it looks like you're actually in, in, in Hammer territory. Uh, yeah, because Because you feel like you're actually stepped back into, like, gothic horror. And everything's all shot and lit and dressed as if we're in a gothic horror, as if we're actually like just stepped into like you know um, Vincent Price's uh, a castle in uh, in, in Pit the Pendulum, or in you know or Dracula's castle in a Hammer film, mm. um, and you know it's even got my favourite bit is, is that they've even, even got in the uh, uh, in the the, the catacombs. If you just had a polar bear, aren't you? You've got a polar bear, and <laughs> yeah, and you've got. A, a, a sort of like um, uh, a cage filled with um, Doberman pinchers, you know. Yes. So, it's Doberman. also I, the the ornamentation upstairs. As you said, the main room is is the classic kind of yeah, uh, Daniel Haller or, yes. or whatever you want to call it, where yeah, there's yeah. cobwebs and stuff everywhere. But on the mantelpiece, there's obviously like a I don't know a black cat or a leopard and a skull, which I thought was quite. Yeah. Quite quite attractively placed there, but you know it's quite nice to look at. I mean, it's remarkably unbloody because a few of them are uh, at times. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been the Phantom of Soho, which one of them I remember watching a few years ago was really quite quite grim. And actually, this is I would have said almost bloodless. I think yes, apart from I think it is on somebody's head. Yeah, I mean, even when because uh, we haven't actually discussed the, what the actual story's about. Oh, uh, let me quick. Yeah, yeah, I should have done the beginning very, yes, very quickly because yes. the plot is not a complicated one. No. Effectively, um, uh, uh, I would say a captain, somebody of some some note, has died, um, and his daughter turns up at Blackwood Castle because it's it's been left to her, um, and. At the same time, in this, we've already seen one person has been hounded literally to death by some strange mutated hound with walrus tusks. Um, and so you don't really know what's going on. And, and what eventually comes to power, I don't know how much to give away, Pete, because it has got oh, a plot. It has got a plot. You know, it mean... has got a plot. But the upshot is some lots of people turn up with different interests in Blackwood Castle. Um, the police turn up and are, to say ineffective, is, is, is the best you can say about them because they really are comic relief. Um, and then you've got somebody who's an insurance agent um, who's investigating whether the man who died was actually had actually been involved in a huge crime. And so I shan't go into it any further. But because there is, I mean, in fairness, the reason I won't, Pete, is because it's so confusing for the first half hour because you're thinking, 
what are they all doing? You yes. know, why are the people? Why yeah. are you on the chess set on a radio system? Why are these people <laughs> dying? It makes no, and it you know it still barely makes sense. Let's yeah. be honest. The, the bit I love is the fact that there's a there's a which isn't given too much away. There's a sarcophagus in it which can only be opened by the man some miles away altering the sword on a chessman, which is very strange. It has to yes. be <laughs> that is very strange. But <laughs> yes, I think that's that's what that's what the beauty about watching this is. Is that there's lots and lots of stuff happening, and it piques your interest because you know you, yes. it keeps it keeps you interested in in what's happening. Um, the characterizations, as I say, is each character is quite quirky and strange. Mm. Um, I, I loved Lady Agatha. Yes, uh, she's great, and yeah. uh, I think she's just she's terrific. She she really she's like the Miss Marple mix. You I was know. just going to say it's kind of Margaret Rutherford, Irene Handel territory. Yes, isn't absolutely. It, really? <laughs> and you know, and <clears throat> we're not giving away anything about the, uh, the, the the dogs with the walrus teeth because they are just. <laughs> I mean, we looked at it when I looked at it. I thought, going, they are the they that dog with walrus teeth is worse <laughs> than the hammerhound of Baskervilles. <laughs> But, I mean, there is a reason, but, there is a but reason. it's still stupid. <laughs> but there is a, when you see the reason, you go, oh, that makes sense now. So it, it also makes sense as to why the deaths of the people involving, as far as I can see, the dog going near them yes. is enough to kill them, which does eventually, uh, which to be fair, is pointed out very early on that they haven't died from being ravaged by a dog. No, no. But um, it's, uh, no. I mean, but yeah, the, and the score by Peter Saxon um is so Peter Thomas is absolutely terrific. Yes. Now, when I heard the score, I thought to myself, "Thought, hmm, this reminds me of something." And sure enough, Peter Thomas is one of my favourite composers because he did the fantastic uh, Rompratui uh, soundtrack. You know the yes, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, uh, which I absolutely love. And of course, you know, and a, a fantastic. Funny, if you that would have been one of the ones I'd have said had you seen it because it's such a good film as well. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, yeah. Uh, good. Uh, Space Patrol in English, I think it is. That's what they mm. called it here. Um, but oh, I love that track. I, I have that. You know, I listen to that all the time. But yeah, Peter Thomas, fantastic composer, and this is a really good score. Do you know if um, any of these scores are available um, as standard? Um, I have a only. I don't think the the version I've got this, which I think I put because I remember you commenting ages ago. I did a mix for one of the nights at Worldwide Weird, and this was one of the tracks on it. Mm-hmm. And that just came off a Krimi compilation. I've got a couple of Krimi compilations of which it's Pete here. Oh, I can't believe his name. I'd have to go through the names on it, but he's quite prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, 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 mess, I'll, I'll send you a link to them, Pete, but there are a couple of good compilation CDs, which are fairly well spread. And in fairness, if you listen to the film, there's not a huge amount of cues in it. No, um, no, no. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty much the same cue repurpose, but it's very good. It's very, very good, yeah. Uh, one to check out, folks, yeah, uh, Peter Thomas. If you like your film music, uh, he's one to check out. He also did, which is, I didn't know, which is just an odd thing, which I now want to watch again, was he did the music for the European release of um, Big Boss, the Bruce Lee film. Oh, did he? Ah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, which I, I can't, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying <laughs> to imagine now whether it's as funky as... Uh, as the Hun von Blackwood Castle, but I suspect it isn't tragically. Mm. Um, but for Krimi fans, I mean, I would I would genuinely urge anybody who certainly, if you like Jallo films, especially earlier ones, um, uh, definitely worth watching Krimi films. And to be fair, in my experience, if you kind of dip into them from the beginning, really t- towards the end of the sixties, they're mostly a good a good romp because. There are good performances on the whole, mm. and they tend a bit like you just said, Pete. You know, you can imagine 
which I think is part of the fun, really. When you watch this, you can imagine if this was a a reasonably well-budgeted Hammer level or or ca- even Carry On level show in the UK in the in the 60s, you could imagine there'd have been Arthur Lowe or there'd have been Alfred Marx or there'd have been whoever in it. Yes. And you could cast it. You could cast it with British people because it is that kind of film. And most of the Krimis are. They're, they're nicely cast using German, obviously German performers, but they are that old-fashioned kind of do your turn. Uh, you know, you, this is the kind of part you play, Mr. Le Magiria. You go and do it in this film for me, please. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I also noticed that because uh, I when I watching this, I thought to myself, oh, I want to have a look at these other Krimi films. And I noticed mm. that all, all the ones which are all like this one, which is a fusion of like the Gothic mm. and, and uh, yeah, Gothic and crime procedurals, they're all done by the same director. Um, Alfred Vora. Yes. yes. So, who, who, I th- who actually did, and I think, again, I need to check, Pete, but I think he did do the original uh, Dead Eyes of London He as did well. indeed, yes, yes. So, uh, so yes, so... There were two competing types of film that, that were coming out um, at the time from, and the Rialto which I must admit is the one I knew better because these are the ones that do tend to... I think some of these you'll also see in early appearances from Klaus Kinski in as well. Mm. Um, they did shoot on location in London, which which is is surprising. But yeah. but I think it was uh, Arthur Bruner. Um, okay. But the other ones I'd recommend just quickly, I mean, Dazinka um, is, is very good. Um, I enjoyed that. And obviously the first one... Uh, is is the face of the frog, which is which is worth watching as well. So, uh, but I, I'd say I found most of them worth watching. Really, I think uh, I'm going to be starting to uh, see some more myself actually as well because I do like I do like the, the, the I did like the fusion of you know sort of gothic and sixties sort of thing. And if they've got good scores, and that that'll help me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the one I haven't seen, which I must admit, I had a note, and I need to try and find it when I was doing a little bit of reading about this, is Das Verter Tor, I have to ask a hiker how to pronounce these, which is Traitor's Gate, mm. which was directed by Freddie Francis um, oh. and screenwriter Jimmy Sangster. So, which is in, and that was shot in London with people stealing the crown jewels, but it was. Uh, um, a um, Rialto film production has got Klaus Kinski and Catherine Schell and, and some of the people you'll have seen in this appear in it. Mm. Um, so I, I wonder what that's actually like because it's got um, Hedger Wallace in it, for example. So it's got people you, you we would kind of know as well as a load of German performers. But it was a, it was a split it was a split production. Almost it wasn't with Hammer, but you almost get the impression it was between Hammer and Rialto. Uh, the other one I was going to say, whatever happened? What have you done to Solange, which features um, Joachim Fuchsberger and Karen Ball is technically again it's it's a crimi. Um yeah. It was promoted as an Edgar Wallace film, but obviously isn't. And certainly, we I would view it as um, as a a Jalo film. But in in um, Germany, it was it was the secret of the green pin. So that just goes to show. Ooh. So two very different films, Pete. I mean, and it's interesting that they were created pretty much at the same time because the one thing I would say, looking at them, they do seem to come from different eras. I mean that the watching apart from some of the the dress that the people are wearing in uh, whatever happened to Aunt Alice, it's odd because in some ways the Krimi film seemed thirty years older. Mm. Um, but the score and the kind of almost uh, Avengers esque 
speed of delivery and everything else seems seems much more modern because a lot of Aunt Alice is, is a far more classical, traditional way of making a film, I think. Yeah, and also is that Aunt Alice is actually shot all on location. There's no studio work. Whereas no, really? it's all. Uh, well, I mean, it's shot. It's all shot on on you know on location. But uh, obviously, the uh, the the set is actually to make, yes. make it look yeah, like yeah. it. But but um, it, it's quite claustrophobic because you've actually only got like you know a couple of rooms that you're in the house sort of thing. But uh, you know, it's still in the in the desert. So there's a lot of desert um, landscape. I was also going to say just quick one without giving too much away. I thought it was a. I mean, it's a very effective, but it was a very strange ending to Aunt Alice, by the way. Um, what, what I mean yes. is, is that her her emotional collapse triggered by the trees mm-hmm. it was what not where I expected it to end up, which I found quite refreshing because I just thought there'd be a kind of what happened. I figured is what would happen to a certain <laughs> yeah. degree, yeah. but I thought the police would just burst in and capture having a couple no. of or something. No, no, I, I quite I quite like the ending because it's quite yeah, sad. Because yes, I think we can't give too much away, but her no. final her final line is absolutely just yes. gold. So Yes. <laughs> no, I say it's a better and and again the way she delivers it because you know she's crying which you know whether she had a bit of onion shoved up her nose or not she you absolutely yeah. believe Geraldine Page at that point you know and I think that that's good. I mean the ending I should add the ending to the Hun von Blackwood Castle I don't think it has quite the same gravitas. It's quite a quite a hurried ending. There is a kind of twist. There is a what's the word? A um, yeah, there's a twist at the end of it. Oh yes, I do. I, th- I did like that twist. That was very good. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I didn't see it coming. I think because the performer, the guy who plays him, uh, he had a kind of quite nice cheeky smoothness to him that I quite enjoyed. So you, I kind of thought he was going to end up being like a James Bond figure, but he, he wasn't quite. No, um, and I so so, but I just like where they go outside and the the word ending or is just on a stone outside so they just zoom in on it because that's a good way to end the film because it it closes quite well Um, but yeah I I mean I certainly think uh, with regard to quality um, whatever happened to Aunt Alice is definitely a better film Um, I think the performances in it are really good but yeah as a I don't know Pete I've got I have got a soft spot and it's a bit like because you end up watching stuff. I'm sure you do as well. Something will pop up and you'll, you'll flick through it. I ended up watching the first of the um, Peter Cushing Doctor Who films, which in lots of ways is not a great film um, because the way it treats Doctor Who and some of the way it's shot. But I still end up enjoying it all because I just enjoy the performances and the kind of... Yeah. I think, it, it, especially with the, with the Peter Cushing Doctor Who films, is, is that, I mean, we saw them when we were kids. So I think that stays in my brain. I'm seeing it as a child, um, you know, when I was so excited about going to see a, you know, a, a Saturday, Saturday matinee, you know, you know, film at the, at the theatre, at the cinema. Um, and it's, it's interesting as you're right as a kid, and it, which it still does. I still think it, this is what it still looks remarkably good, but it's the bit you and I think perhaps you're right when you've seen something very when you're much younger. It, it, perhaps it does remind you because you, I just remember watching them as a young kid and just thinking how big they seemed. And that would have been as a kid who, and I say I'm not the world's biggest Doctor Who fan, so I, I can't comment in great detail, but you'd watch the telly and then when you suddenly saw this vibrant colour and the width of the screen and the size of the sets and the spaceships and it seemed fantastically dramatic. It's still good. I like them. I, you know, I have. Yeah, uh, I think I prefer the second one, but there we go. I think uh, Bernard Cribbins. You see, Bernard Cribbins is the is the one that actually like irritates me a bit. But then again, <gasps> I know. Peter Fuller, that's going to lose us all our listenership, isn't I know. it? No, oh, but it's dissing the late, shortly <laughs> late Bernard Cribbins. I was, 
Oh, is it Roy Castle? Maybe it's Roy Castle. He's, oh, God, no, Roy, Roy Castle's in the first yeah, one. Yeah, no, he's, I think, sorry, it's Roy Castle in the first one. It's, it's, he's a bit irritating. There. Then, he, he's a bit, yeah, he's, no, no, I would never, I mean, honestly. For, for but then again, reason, he's, one of my, he's also irritating in Dr. Terror's House of Horrors as well, isn't he? He was a bit irritating in Record Breakers, let's be frank, Peter. Yeah. I mean, I would. the only thing I'd say about Bernard Cribbins as well is he's in one of my favourite ever well he's just so good i mean he's some of the avengers episode he's in is absolutely terrific as well he was just you know yeah. I, I, I i remember posting on facebook when he died uh, i think it was this year wasn't it i believe they had a tribute on radio 4 and there was this one which was just a monologue effectively from him where he was this increasingly paranoid it was comedy drama increasingly paranoid man in his flat and it was absolutely Yes, his voice yes. was so good. Yeah, sorry, I've got so, I've so got me Bernard Cribbins and me Roy Castle mixed up. Apologies, everyone. It wasn't Bernard? His national treasure. It's Roy. I'll put, a, I'll, I'll put a Bernard. I'll put a Bernard Cribbins disclaimer on me. You know, you can do explicit lyrics. I think something like that. So I don't. I'm going to see you. I think Peter at. Graham's book launch next. You will indeed, yes. Um, Which is only a, only a week or so away. And I have uh, already got an idea for our next podcast. So um, if oh. you haven't seen it, uh, we'll discuss it and see what happens. <laughs> we'll discuss it afterwards. And then I think we're just to trail the, a very minor, minuscule change in format for various reasons. We were thinking about things we both hadn't seen but we were quite enthused about. So there's a possibility we might review um, the odd episode of a TV show as well. Yes. For, for various reasons, which is immensely appealing. I think so. But anyway, I hope you've enjoyed that. So, yeah, two, uh, at some point, Peter, we will find ourselves disagreeing fiercely. I, I assume at some point you are going to send me a terrible dud. You never know. You never know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you look after yourself. Thank you, nice everyone, for listening in. And, uh, Thank you, you, everybody. And when you see a pine tree next time, uh, you, yes. you have to watch And clearly, that. very effective fertiliser as well, obviously. Very effective. They didn't half grow. Yeah. All right, take right. care of yourself. See you all. Bye. Bye. So, um, as always, I think I have to announce that neither of the films we're recommending are easily streamable. I have suspicion that <laughs> next week when we do... Uh, Zedda, perhaps that will be streamable, I'm going to find out. But um, sadly, these are the old DVDs we have knocking around, uh, So, which is my recommendation if you want to watch them. Our old DVDs are probably uh, your friend for both of these films. Music-wise, um, you can get the, the CD I've got, which is a really cracking one, which is still on Amazon for, I think, 12 quid, which is The Best of Edgar Orlis, uh, which has uh, Nora Orlandi, uh, Martin Boschka, and Peter Thomas on it, so you can find Blackwood Castle, um, as well as The Monk with a Whip and uh, Gorilla of Soho and lots of other excellent crimmy films. So, yeah, that's The Best of Edgar Wallace, which is a Cine Sounds release, um, which is good. Um, I've used that in various mixes I've done. There's some cracking psychedelic 60s fun on there for you. Uh, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks for our next couple of films. Thank you.